You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. My name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Storybrooke. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. Welcome to Storybrooke Weekly Mirror in Hyperion Heights, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, November 6th. 2017, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the ABC series, Once Upon a Time. Please welcome my co-host, Jenna Pace. Hi, everybody. Hope you're excited to talk about the new episode. I am, and I hope our listeners are excited as well. Unfortunately, the rest of our co-hosts are not with us tonight. They've all been turned into frogs, so we will figure out the counterspell, and uh, hopefully they will be back next week. So let's jump or hop into our recap of Season 7, Episode 5, which was titled Greenbacks and aired November 3rd. 2017. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Tiana seeks help from a traveling soothsayer, the iconic Dr. Facilier, in an attempt to save her kingdom, but when it's revealed that he has an ulterior motive, she's forced to take matters into her own hands. In Hyperion Heights, Sabine and Jacinda take on a risky business venture, but the strength of their friendship is tested when Victoria interferes with their plans. Meanwhile, Ivy recruits Henry to investigate Victoria, and Ronnie makes a discovery that could change her relationship with Henry forever. Rogers uncovers a crucial clue in his search for Eloise Gardner. All right, let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 5. Once Upon a Time was viewed by 2.36 million total viewers, with a 0.5 in the demo. It dipped to new audience lows while steady in the demo. So I want to get your initial reaction to the episode. Jenna, what did you think of the episode, Greenbacks? I think it was a pretty solid episode, I really like the insights that we got into Tiana's character. I like that we got to see more of Ivy and kind of like get, um, um, well, see a bit more of, yeah, just see a bit more of our new characters like really shine. So, um, yeah, that was really fun. I liked seeing more of Ronnie and Henry as well. It was just an engaging episode that had a lot of, had a lot of pretty funny twists and lines. Jeffrey, your thoughts? 
I really enjoyed this episode. Something that you might not know about me, uh, Jenna, because you are new this season. But I am a big The Princess and the Frog fan. I love Dr. Facilier. He's one of my favorite villains in, you know, Disney animated features. And I've been waiting for Tiana as well as Dr. Facilier to appear on Once Upon a Time. And so this episode, being Tiana-centric and showcasing Dr. Facilier, was a, a huge highlight for me. I entered the episode with a little bit of like um, hesitation and, and trepidation and, and worry just because I was like, are they going to make, you know, such... An amazing and iconic villain like Dr. Facilier, a sort of one-off villain like they've done in the past sometimes. Um, and I was like, they, they can't do that to Dr. Facilier. You know, hopefully he will have a um, larger presence. And not to go into like the end of the flashbacks, but there was like a tease of maybe his return, which got me really excited. So uh, I feel like Once Upon a Time did... Um, those characters the princess and the frog characters justice and i was completely satisfied by the flashbacks and um, i was really intrigued by what was going on in the present day stuff and uh in our previous podcast i did mention that i was you know kind of worried about gisella and uh i'm glad that that paid off because gisella use a shady lady that's all i'm saying so, um, alright, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of Once Upon a Time, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. Poppychularadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash Radio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming.
Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it. A quick shout-out to the opening title card, which uh, featured a fire truck in uh, the forest. And so let's start off where we usually do, in the past, in the magical forest many years ago. And we see Tiana and her mother Eudora. They're trying to keep their castle from being sold by having an estate sale. We learn that Tiana and her mother are no longer royalty after um, her father passed away. And so uh, Tiana ends up deciding that she is going to uh, basically find a prince to marry so that her all of the financial problems can be solved and so she ends up uh, going to a town where um, she runs into a mysterious um, soothsayer by the name of Dr. Facilier. I should say that before she meets Dr. Facilier she actually runs into a, a bunch of um, beggars who um, end up uh, really getting all up in her grill, <laughs> and uh, they end up getting sort of like shooed away by Dr. Facilier. And um, he ends up telling Tiana that he can help her in her quest to find a prince with uh, some magic, but that it will cost her. And so uh, Dr. Facilier ends up telling her to find the Red Crow. And the Red Crow it turns out to be a tavern. And when she goes inside the tavern, um, she ends up uh, getting uh, accosted for her earrings. She was saved by Prince Marius. And uh, he asks her to go to dinner with him. And so later on, she ends up bringing Marius back to her castle. And she ends up talking about her father. And she shows off the uh, Firefly Ruby, which is um, the family's remaining heirloom. And so Marius agrees to help Tiana, but Tiana ends up catching Marius trying to steal the Ruby. And so he explains that he isn't a prince, he's a commoner, and uh, he had made a deal with Facilier. In exchange for the Ruby, he will be reunited with his true love, who has been turned into a frog. And so Tiana lets Marius go and promises that she's going to help him reunite with his love. And so after talking with her mother Eudora, Tiana ends up taking the ruby to Dr. Facilier in exchange for the frog. She says that the ruby doesn't have any power, that the power that she has is inside of her. And so Dr. Facilier takes the ruby, but he's not planning on returning the frog. And so Tiana threatens him with her sword, and Dr. Facilier ends up using voodoo to uh, um, hurt Tiana. He had created a voodoo doll in her likeness. And um, and she's able to, th though, uh, to knock him down. He drops the ruby, and she grabs the frog, and, uh, you know, basically, he ends up magic 
whisking himself away, he poofs away and escapes with the ruby and basically tells Tiana that he will be back, that they will meet again, and they will continue this fight at a later date. So Tiana returns the frog to Marius, and and he kisses the frog, and using true love's kiss, he breaks the spell, breaks the curse that Facilier had placed on them, and it turns out that he is a frog that was transformed into a human so he returns into his frog form and um, he swims away with uh, his true love all right so let's break this down jenna let's talk about the flashback featuring tiana what did you think of the flashback well i think the flashback was really good so um something that i wanted to comment is tiana's actually my favorite disney princess like you i'm a big fan of princess and the frog i really like um tiana as a character i think her development over the course of the film is fantastic and um i'm gonna break into a little bit to the hyperion Heights stuff but i kind of like the distinction between these two characters they feel the the two personalities um both tiana and later sabine feel very distinct you see this, you feel this regalness, this incontrolness, this why, this wiseness in Tiana. And then you see this fun, re- a bit more relaxed side in Sabine. And I really like that distinction. Um, going into the flashback, I'm really excited because it seems like there's this prior relationship between um, Tiana and Drizilla. Because, like, there's a family rivalry or something, because you see at the estate sale, um, Drizilla's just, like, bullying mm-hmm. her, like, kicking her when she's down, and so, yeah, there's, so that's interesting, and maybe we'll see in the, in a flashback a bit more of that. Um, I think Facilier, they did a really good job, uh, making hit, making him very charming, but also really scary, I like the way that he tells the fortunes. It's a little bit different than anything we've seen before, where it's like reading the patterns. And of course, he's just manipulating the whole game, but it's still just kind of, but it's still just kind of cool. Just it, it feels different, but also kind of in a way a little believable. Um, I, I think the twist with um, Prince Marius, the twist at the end with him actually being a frog, was hysterical. I like how they played it. Because for while I was watching that scene, I was like, "Oh my god, is he going to do something evil? Is this going to end on an unhappy note?" But no. And then he kisses the frog, and they both become frogs. And it's just kind of a really good homage to the Disney movie. It's again, it's kind of funny. It's it's a cute bit of payoff. I love the conversation between Tiana and Eudora about finding the strength within yourself. I like how. The, I like how that conversation and also, like, Tiana's conversation with with uh, Prince Marius about um, about her father, it shows that it, those are the things that help develop this character. And that's what I think makes that development feel really real and really special. And I like this rivalry that's being set up between Tiana and, Tiana and Dr. Facilier. It feels like it's going to be a cool... Like, it's going to be a cool battle between good and evil between them, which is something in the the Disney movie that Tiana and Facilier didn't really have. Like, Facilier was a bit more of a distant villain in The Princess and the Frog, where here, he's Tiana's villain. They're up close and personal, and their beef is with each other. It's a much more intimate rivalry. 
Um, finally, one thing I want to comment on is this also has an allusion to the Hyperion Heights um, flashback um, where where Tiana alludes to the prince's ball and that's where she's going to first strike. So suddenly it's like she has a reason for being there and it also kind of gives the joke that's um, during the ball about frog legs a little bit of extra context and it makes it mm-hmm. a little bit funnier. And and also that connection with Drusilla makes the makes the alliance that she makes with Cinderella a lot more real. So I think this flashback did a lot to set up this character, set up the situations that she's in, make me believe that she's a really firm, great leader, that she could, that she has this power, this spirit to inspire a revolution. It makes me want to follow her, and that gets me really excited. So in terms of setting up a really good heroine and a really good villain... I think this was a fantastic job. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on everything that you just said. Uh, I thought it was a really strong flashback. I really enjoyed getting to see a different version of The Princess and the Frog. To be quite honest, I think they actually took a lot from the story that inspired The Princess and the Frog, The Frog Prince. And uh, I thought that was kind of fun to see. I really loved Robin Givens as Eudora. Like, I just felt like she, you know, just was an awesome presence to see. Uh, sometimes we don't get to see a lot of parents on Once Upon a Time. You know, the whole thing, you know, in Disney movies, you know, the parents are dead and that kind of thing. Or we see them very briefly. But uh, we got some really great moments with Eudora in the flashbacks, which I was uh, really excited to see. And I'm 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 intrigued by her. And I hope that we, we get to see like some more of her in the future. Um I guess we'll have to sort of wait and see to see if that happens. And Dr. Facilier, I mean, he lived up to the hype, in my opinion, or at least the hype that I had placed um, for him in my head. Because, uh, as I mentioned, I I was worried that he was going to be like a soothsayer that was like, you know, traveling through town or something like that. That's sort of like what the preview sort of showed. But um, the fact that he had that threat that he's going to come back made me really excited. I loved uh, the costume. It was perfect. I thought the actor was really good. I love that he has a British accent on Once Upon a Time. I thought that was really nice. And, uh... I really enjoyed um, how he uses magic, and I also really liked the uh, puff of smoke that he disappears into, because I had a theory. You were not here for this, Jenna, but I had a theory at the end of uh, last season. And my hope was that that puff of smoke that chases... Henry in, uh, I guess now we can say it's in the magical forest. It was not the enchanted forest, maybe. Uh, the, the puff of smoke that attacks the house in which Henry disappears, maybe that was Dr. Facilier because that smoke moved Ooh. in the way that Dr. Facilier disappeared. Like, typically our villains in which we've seen in the past, like the smoke sort of envelops them, but it's like one continuous smoke puff or poof whatever you want to call it the Mm -hmm. way that it roped around dr facilier like snakes almost Mm 
was really interesting and it reminded me 100% of the type of effect that was used when the smoke was chasing it was yeah Henry it was chasing Henry and um, Lucy was in the cottage thing right yeah I think that's how it was and Lucy escapes and then that uh, those snake like smoke puffs um, arrived in the cottage so I'm thinking maybe that was Dr. Facilier which that would be kind of awesome because in my mind I've always pictured like Dr. Facilier and Lady Tremaine teaming up sort of to make all this happen because she's not a magical person she's going to need someone that has magic or that at least um, understands magic to be able to cast the curse so maybe it was Dr. Facilier and it would make sense because in Hyperion Heights we're sort of like melding the worlds of Cinderella, Rapunzel, Tiana together so it would make sense if either Mother Gothel or Dr. Facilier or both, they would have helped Lady Tremaine with this curse. Like a group of villains. That could be very fun. Exactly. So that could be pretty interesting. So I guess we'll have to wait and see if, if that sort of ends up happening. But I am glad that they left the door open to Dr. Facilier. And if he was sort of like working in the background with Lady T, and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe once everyone awakens, you know, Facilier will pop up in Hyperion Heights and, I don't know, haha, Tiana, you thought you got rid of me. Booyah or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see Dr. Facilier saying booyah. Yes, I agree. <laughs> So I thought it was awesome. I loved it. I thought the little twist at the end where he was a frog was like really cute. It was very Disney in in a good kind of way. Mm-hmm. Can't be, but cute. Exactly. And I really liked the moment that you mentioned that you referenced with uh, Tiana and Gisela. Like It just, it was great. I mean, we sort of saw that in the past when it was the Enchanted Forest with like these characters, like knowing each other and having rivalries and that kind of thing back in the day. So it was great to see that in the Magical Forest, these characters were in each other's lives and, um, you know, some liked each other, some didn't, you know, some were, um, you know, basically, uh, um, enjoying and, and reveling in others' misfortune. I mean, it, it was really neat to see and, uh, it sort of added to, uh, the history, as you mentioned, like amongst the families. Like, I wonder if there was sort of like this deep, rivalry between uh, I guess we'll call them for right now the Tremaines and um, the uh, Tiana family I like it and also kind of makes Henry feel like it feels like Henry's just this outsider crashing into all these other histories and such and just changing everything basically yeah like honestly Like, now, kind of like the Wish Realm, I want a realm where it's like, what would have happened if Henry hadn't come to the Magical Forest when he did? What would have been the outcome of that story? That would be interesting. Yeah, because, like, what would have happened had Henry not arrived? Because, like, Henry's just shaking up so many things, and he's waking up so many different variables. 
yeah. changed up this war scene, and would Tiana and Cinderella have met? Would they have become? Would they become as close friends? Would they become enemies? Where's the? Where are these different? Where would these? Everybody's lives have gone had Henry not interrupted and said, "Yep, I'm changing up everything." That's a really interesting thought, to be quite honest. I wonder if at some point we could see something like that. I guess, to be quite honest, we have to make it through this season. Yeah. But, you know, that would be kind of intriguing to see, like, what happens. Or if we will also run into the author of that realm and basically, you know, he or she is like, you know, what are you doing? Like, you completely messed up my story. Oh, I love that idea. I kind of now want to start thinking of who's the potential author. Hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if it's someone that we already know. It could be. It could be. Maybe it's the witch. Because that would be interesting. Margaret's also an author. That would be intriguing. I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But uh, I think we both agree it was an overall, like, a really great story and uh if they're gonna do the princess and the frog on once upon a time i I thought at least in my opinion i thought they did an excellent job with it i would second that i think it was uh i think it's a really interesting way to bring the story to bring the story to the screen i agree all right let's move into hyperion heights and there were actually several storylines that uh, took some interesting twists and turns in Hyperion Heights. So let's start off with the opening scene in Hyperion Heights. We're at the Belfry Towers. We are in the secret floor with Victoria. She arrives with a tea set to see the witch. And um, they end up talking about Lucy's belief. And, of course, we already know that Victoria has to completely remove Lucy's belief so that Anastasia, Anastasia can be brought back to life. But Victoria is finding it much more difficult than anticipated. Like, the witch ends up saying something to the gist of, uh, you know, you think belief can be removed just like that. Well, belief is like a weed. You know, it's got deep roots, and you're going to have to remove the roots to uh, completely remove the belief. And so it seems like Victoria has an idea on which route to take out. But the witch is like, you know, I don't want your tea. You know, I want my tea. So you have to bring my herbs and whatnot. So um, there you go. So let's pause right here and let's discuss this opening scene. Because it was, um, I would say, uh, mysterious on purpose. What did you think of Victoria and the witch in their first scene together? Now, to be honest, I kind of want you to go first, because I remember in the Garden of Forking Paths, you were obsessed with the witch and stuff. So now to see that, now to see them um, interacting again, that must get you really excited. So, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on this first. Well, I thought the witch is still very good. Like, I'm intrigued by her. I'm very fascinated by sort of like how she ticks, because she seems to know a lot. Obviously, she's awake, so she knows everything, and uh, their scene seems to have a lot of, like, subtext. I'm trying to figure out what it is, though, but 
the whole thing of like the witch demanding for her own specialty was interesting her specialty specialty uh that's like fascinating to me thank you and um the whole discussion about belief and how belief is like a weed like there are roots i thought that whole conversation was really interesting as well and i was very curious to see like what victoria would try to do to be quite honest not to get too deep in the episode i i I thought what she did um I i wasn't that impressed victoria for me at least in my opinion She's an interesting villain. I don't find her fully threatening, to be quite honest. I find her a little bit more threatening in the flashbacks. In the present day in Hyperion Heights, like, I get what she's trying to do, but, like, I just, I don't feel like she's really succeeding in what she's trying to do, to be quite honest. Or at least right now, maybe because she didn't expect, like, everything to happen with Henry and and Lucy and that kind of thing. It feels like she's at an impasse and she's trying to figure out what to do next. It's almost like a wild card was thrown into her plan and, and she fully hasn't like comprehended what like the next best move uh, should be. I actually agree. I think because it also, it's like, it's she's only out of like five episodes now she's only won one of the times and even then she didn't fully win because they're like steps in the right direction so it's kind of like i i feel like we're seeing it more in the enchanted forest compared the magical forest compared to in hyperion heights and but i also feel like something like is upcoming and it's going to be like intense and insane or given something that we find out later in the season, maybe she's not the threat we should be so scared of. Maybe you know, that wouldn't surprise me, to be quite honest, if she isn't, like, the big bad, which would be a really unique twist in the whole Once Upon a Time of it all. And I would be here for that, just because that would be a uh, surprising turn, to be quite honest. Um, and, and, but back to the scene, I really like how it's acted, I like this rapport between the witch and Lady Tremaine, or Victoria Belfry. That room is still, like, the room's still, like, really scary, and such a contrast to the rest of, to the rest of Belfry Towers. Mm-hmm. It just feels so out of everything, but also not at all like the fairy tale world. It's just this something else, and it's creepy, and it's cool, and you want to explore it. Like, I wish I could, like, I wish it was like a video game and I could just explore this whole floor and pick apart all the locks and such. But anyways, um, the witch is still really interesting. She's kind of like a mentor figure and figure and you kind of also she kind of shows the little the cracks in Victoria's armor because Victoria is going to for her, going to her for help. And it's very much it's very much against her whole like fear is everything. Like, she definitely can tell at this point that the witch is not scared of her. Mm-hmm. If any, maybe it's the reverse is true. So, yeah, and I def- I like how Victoria's trying different angles to take down Lucy's- take down Lucy's belief. It's still sad that she hasn't had, like, a win yet, but we'll- I guess we'll see how that- how that goes. Like, I feel like she's due for a- she's due for a major victory at some point. 
because you know gotta have that conflict and such exactly yeah i think that secret floor is the closest that we're gonna get this season to like a mr gold's pawn shop in the sense that when we first saw mr gold's pawn shop it was very mysterious and it had a lot of like interesting artifacts in there and uh, it was just like very fascinating to explore to even be inside of the pawn shop like this lair is like the closest that we're gonna get to that and it's also the closest thing that's like very um it's like very lost ish like if, if anything on the series this season is kind of reminiscent of like lost besides like the little callbacks and easter eggs and that kind of thing like this lair is very lost ish see i'm actually i'm actually considering it more like regina's vault where it's like it's hidden and it's secret and it has all these otherworldly things in it. And you just kind of like want to, you just like, you want to spend time there because you know there's a lot of intrigue. And Mr. Go Mr. Gold's Pawn Shop is like that too, but it's also like a public place where Regina's Vault is very much private. And people are, and like people, ex people explore, but it's also kind of, well, with the vault it was a grave, so it was kind of a sacred place. And with Belfry, it's kind of cut off to only these, only four characters as of this episode, and only really three of them get regular access because of the whole ID card thing. So I, that's why I'm contributing, why I like compare it more to the vault. But yeah, it's like, you just want to spend so much time there, you know there's so many cool secrets, and if you spend enough time there, you're going to learn so many great things. I like it, and I can dig that. I, I can agree. Yeah, it is kind of like the vault, in, in a sense. I like that uh, comparison. So, continuing on with uh, one of the other storylines in the episode, uh, let's talk about Sabine. So, let's continue on with Victoria and what her plans are. So, Sabine shows up at Belfry Towers to give uh, Lucy some of her world-famous beignets, which looked so delicious, in my opinion. And, They're uh, so good-looking. I, I know, right? Mm. Fantastic. And she's... cookbook. Uh, yeah, I know, right? And she's confronted by Victoria, and Victoria basically is like, you know, oh, I was just thinking about you, you know. It turns up that uh, we're going to be increasing your rent by 8%. And uh, Sabina's like, you know, we can't afford that. But And Lucy obviously is um, in on, you know, or at least not in on the plan, but what's the right word? That She She's understands what Victoria is trying to do. And um, Sabina's basically like, you know, I'm going to... Um, don't worry, like, you're not going to get us out, like... I'm not going to be uh, displaced like the others, you know, that you keep on trying to kick out of the neighborhood. I will find a way to pay it. And so Sabine ends up coming up with the idea to uh, sell her beignets. She asks Jacinda for help selling her beignets with the supplies that she bought with the rent money. And, and Jacinda agrees. And so they set up a um, shop at Mr. Cluck's, and uh, it turns out to be very successful. But um, once Victoria gets her hands on a uh, 
beignet. She calls up her friend, Ralph, and she asks him to wreck it. I wreck, love that reference Wreck so it, Ralph. Much. It was so fantastic. So st- stupid in like a fun way like i don't mean that in like a a stupid way it was just so dumb in the most magical way possible i think i squeed when i heard that because i love wreck it ralph so much it's fantastic i can't wait for the movie next year yes that's gonna be amazing and so uh she asks ralph to basically burn the restaurant down and so the restaurant is burned down and uh Sabine does save the money that they made, but the restaurant is now in ruins. And so uh, Jacinda no longer has a job. And she, uh, you know, she ends up uh, lashing out at Sabine because uh, Jacinda's now unemployed. And um, Lucy ends up giving Sabine some advice. You know, she basically tells her not to give up. And so Sabine. You know, it is um, obviously um, frustrated and disappointed and, and heartbroken by the whole situation. And, and she's ready to get out of Dodge. But uh, Jacinda ends up apologizing and surprises her with a gift. A, a catering van that they can use to sell her food. And um, they end up having a really nice, uh, you know, reconciliation and, um, you know, they, they basically talk about, you know, like what are friends for, you know, you believed in me, I believe in you, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's make this happen. And, uh, we'll pause right here and let's discuss Sabine, Victoria and Jacinda. Jenna. Okay, so this is a bit on, more on, on the complicated side for me because, like, half this, half the episode I really, really like, and then half, well, half this portion I really, really like, and half this portion I really don't. Because I really don't like being negative, I'm going to try to get the negativity out of the way. Um, a lot of it comes down with just the, I feel like the, re- the relationship and friendship between Sabine and um, Jacinda is not it works. A lo- it worked a lot better in um, Hyperion Heights and A Pirate's Life than it is right now. I feel like for every time that they tell me that Jacinda and Sabine are best friends, I find myself believing it a little bit less. Like, I, I, it's weird because like I bought their relationship a lot there, but I didn't feel it as much in this episode, which is weird because it's this friendship supposed to be at the forefront. Maybe also because the fight, I feel. Like considering everything that happened in this fight and what it mean, what it meant for that moment, I guess maybe I felt that it should have gone a little bit further, and maybe Sabine, I I, I don't know. Like I kind of wish Sabine had more of a reaction to things. Like Lucy's conversation with her doesn't change things; it's Jacinda's actions, which is cool. Like I think that that kind of gets a point across of. Um, Sabine is inspiring other people and that's like and that's like that ties really well into the flashback but I'm not sure how well that was communicated and again I I felt like they were telling but not showing the friendship but on the other hand there were a lot of things that I really liked I really felt Sabine's connection to Lucy like I really feel like this is somebody who's basically like Lucy's aunt who's someone who's always been there for Lucy, 
someone who they someone who's exchanged stories always makes Lucy feel really happy is always there for Lucy and that's just that I that connection I felt a lot I felt I really like Sabine's character I like her charisma I like her sense of humor I like her belief in herself so that I really enjoyed um yeah so that was pretty cool I like the logo I like the direction where this is going with like they're going to be doing something really different. I like the idea of them having a food truck together. It's like them taking their own stand. So this was this uh, plot point was very double-edged for me, which is a little weird. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Okay. That's interesting. All right. I am the same but opposite of... Sort of like oh. what you said. Yeah. My problem with the storyline... Well, okay. I can agree with you on one point of, like, the thing that you didn't like about the storyline. I felt like the fight was forced. Like... It, it felt a little forced. Yeah, because I really don't understand how it's Sabine's fault that the kitchen was on fire. Like, that just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, um, although I didn't mention this, uh, I guess I, sh I should because it's part of the storyline. Sabine ends up finding out from Rogers that it looks like it was a, a, like, arson job. Like, somebody specifically set the place on fire. And, of course, they suspect Victoria because, you know, obviously. Yeah. Obby. So, before that, though... Like, just, I felt like Jacinda, like, really being pissed at her, like, that just, that annoyed me. Because I'm like, she's your BFF, like, I don't know, it just didn't seem like a, um, a natural thing that would happen amongst friends, like, it just, the whole situation, like, her getting mad, it just didn't seem authentic to me. So, that was a negative for me. The other thing that was a negative was just the whole Victoria, like, machination of it all. It just, I didn't really understand how that was, like, an action that would remove a piece of Lucy's belief, if that's the reason why she did that. I guess the only thing that sort of makes it kind of understandable is that if Sabine had moved out of Hyperion Heights, like that would have been sort of like a, um, a familial well. anchor that Lucy has that would be sort of like out of the picture that she would have been able to sort of have gotten rid of and i guess that would be sort of like a root of her belief i guess i don't know I, I didn't really understand how any of what she did would have like started to um have lucy's belief system crumble i, I ha if i could just give my interpretation for a sec i think mm -hmm. it's because like sabine is the big dreamer so to see this see somebody who is a big dreamer who like has at least, has, a, like, probably out of, like, Lucy's circle, immediate circle, the most faith out of anybody, to see her, like, have to leave town and 
be in this fight with Jacinda and kind of just have like have her dreams broken, that would like be a blow like, oh, you're not making as many changes as you think you are and you're gonna lose this person who brings a lot of joy and whimsy to your life and your mom's life. Okay, I can sort of understand that, but it's not good enough. Victoria Belfry, Lady Tremaine, you're supposed to have your shit together, and you don't. <laughs> so that's a little disappointing for me, especially since, as of right now, she seems to be the big bad. So, yeah, so this was no bueno, at least her side of things and, like, the plan that she is trying to execute. Other than that, I did like the whole beignet thing. Call back to the princess and the frog. Uh, I do wish, though, but I guess it makes sense for, like, quote-unquote modern times that Sabine would have a food truck versus her own restaurant. I guess you have to build up to the restaurant because I, I really do yeah. want Tiana's place. Like, I want that to be a place. So that's the only thing that was um, lacking. I Like, I want a physical restaurant. Like, if maybe, I don't know, like, instead of the food truck, like... Um, Although she wouldn't have had the money to like purchase the the building or rent the building or something like let's say you know Mr. Clux was forever damaged or something like she could have um, she being Jacinda would have gotten it for like a cheaper price or something and like maybe they would have you know gotten a lease on that building and then they, they could have turned that into Tiana's place or something like that would have been kind of awesome but you know or she, it, make, or she made food for Ronnie's. There you go, exactly. But uh, since it is, you know, it's 2017 and food trucks are very popular, so it does make sense. It's very trendy, you know, to have a food truck. So uh, I guess I can go with that, which, you know, it, is, it isn't that big of a, like, negative type of thing. I thought it was very cute. And um, I did like Lucy's sort of pep talk to Sabine. You know, if we're not going to have, like, young... Henry, you know, telling people to believe Lucy is a good substitute, in my opinion. Agreed. All, yeah. All right. So let's get into uh, another storyline from the episode. So since I mentioned Rogers, let's continue on with him. So Rogers ends up, you know, basically trying to shake down this uh, criminal for some information on Eloise Gardner. Eloise Gardner is the missing girl that he's been trying to find for the past 10 years. You know, this is the case, the one that got away. And um, he recognizes a tattoo that is on this man as a symbol in Eloise's sketchbook. He's got the tattoo on... Um, like his wrist, right? That's what you would call it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like on his wrist. It's this um, interesting symbol. It's like circular and, and it, it looks very odd. And it so... Kind of a steering wheel. Hmm? Kind of reminds me of a steering wheel. Yeah, I was thinking of that and I also was thinking of like a... Um, like a ship's... Um, what do you call it? What do you call the thing? The steering wheel of the ship? 
Yeah, that's yeah, like I think they just called it the, the steering wheel. Yeah, it reminded me of that. And yeah, I think that's, that's what I was going for. Oh, okay, well there we go. We're on the same page. And <laughs> so he starts questioning the man about the tattoo, and the guy is like trying to shake him off, but he ends up explaining that um, the tattoo is a symbol that's meant to ward off evil. And so later on, when Sabine is talking to Rogers, we see this guy watching Rogers from across the street, and he calls someone to let them know that Rogers is looking into the Eloise Gardner case. It's Victoria Belfry. I mean, I'm just saying. I could be totally wrong, but yeah, I think it's Victoria. But anyway, so let's get into it. Let's discuss this short storyline. Yeah, one of the shorter storylines of the episode, Rogers and Eloise Gardner. Okay, um, well, first I want to take a look at that first scene. Um, I love how he has the box, and um, I'm really just imagining what Wishhook's daughter would be writing in terms of angsty teenage poetry. <laughs> I just find that, oh, I just find funny. that kind of funny, because that, prop, that notebook was probably there like from before she was taken, and it's just <laughs> living, like, what kind of angsty teenage poetry does she have living with Wishhook? Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's just kind of adorable. Um, I like, I, I still like seeing the power trio, and I like how Rogers is kind of letting them in on this big part of his life, which is this investigation. And, yep, just all these, and, and it's just kind of a funny coincidence that the day he takes that book out is the day that just all these stars are lining. Also, um, before he finds that crook with the, uh, with the tattoo, he's looking at a book, and he's looking at a page with, uh, that looks like it's somebody looking outside of a tower and mm-hmm. it definitely got Rapunzel going on in my mind which it still has that whole juggling like who is Wishhook's daughter is it Rapunzel or is it Alice and yeah I just I love that I like I like Roger's rapport with the criminal um, I like the line about about alcohol making somebody go mad especially when it, when like Rogers is totally sober and that's just kind of that's just kind of adorable. So, uh, yep, I think it's I think it's a cool story. Also, um, we didn't mention this, but Rogers got them the good deal on the food truck. So it's just I like what I actually really like that, even though it's like a, only a two second thing because it's showing that Hyperion Heights is becoming more of a community. Mm-hmm. It's showing that it's kind of being more of what it once was, as Lucy describes it. It's becoming this it's becoming like a closer family like Jacinda and Rogers haven't really had a scene together and neither has Sabine and Rogers but they're but they're slowly coming together because of Henry and Ronnie well and, Sabine yeah, and Rogers finally share a scene together they do they finally share a scene together and it's just but it's like because they're indirectly connected because of Henry and mm-hmm. and Jacinda and Ronnie and it's just yeah you see these people moving closer so it definitely feels like this is when eventually whatever whoever the villain is, whether it be um, Lady Tremaine, Doctor Facilier, Ivy, the Witch, some combination of those four people are taken down. It's going to be like a group thing. It's going to be everybody coming together. Yeah, I so, think so. I can agree with that. I, so yeah, I just like that. Uh, 
I just think it was cool. It's also a nice first step in the mystery. We have that we have that little step, and obviously Rogers is going in the right direction. I once heard a quote about about life. If you're running, life is like a video game. If you're running into enemies, you're going in the right direction, and the end of this episode proves Rogers has running is running into enemies because of that phone call. So obviously, we're getting an, another step closer in the Eloise Gardner case. Exactly. Go I'm, on. I'm trying to remember. Did they say the criminal's name? I don't think they did. What if he's Ralph? Ooh, he could be Ralph. That's just something interesting to think about. Because, uh, I mean, I think. No, but, mm -hmm. but he like just got out of. But he like just got out of jail. I think it was like because. I don't know where he was in, like, terms of when Victoria made the phone Okay, call, okay, so maybe not. I feel like that's a little too close. Okay, maybe not then. But as far as the storyline, this storyline confused me so much. Oh? Just because I think we're all assuming that Hook, Wish Hook, that this mysterious person, the child that he can't find, is also his daughter. But what if in Hyperion Heights, it's not? Mmm, that is possible. Just because I feel like they keep on like hitting us over the head that it's like Rapunzel. But the whole like chess thing and the whole Tilly situation from last week... I really am leaning a little bit more towards Tilly being the daughter just because Tilly, the actress, is recurring, whereas Rapunzel is a guest star. So yeah. I'm just, because of the casting, I'm just leaning towards Tilly, because that's the thing that would make the most sense, because it just doesn't make any sense to me that he would be reuniting with his daughter and then all of a sudden she would disappear again. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, what Unless if they decide to go for a tragic end? Exactly. Which they could, you know, I mean, this is once upon I a time. Don't. So what if the girl he's searching for in the magical forest and the girl he's searching for in Hyperion Heights are not the same? So, Eloise Gardner, I'm going to assume, is Rapunzel, but what if Tilly is actually his daughter? I like it, I like it. Because, if we're gonna go by, and I've mentioned this before, like, the rules of the Magical Forest, in the Magical Forest, Hook was cursed, Wish Hook was cursed from finding his daughter. And the curse was, you know, something in his heart, and he would never be able to find her again. Oh. So, what if Lucy bringing Henry into Hyperion Heights somehow softened the curse? Because up to, like, that point, Tilly, it seems like he, she had never met Rogers. Rogers had never met Tilly. And so yeah. they finally met under the curse... But the curse is sort of weakening because of Henry and Lucy and that kind of thing. I don't know, just a thought, an idea. No, I like it, I like it. 
Or unless, but what if the curse on Roger's heart is already, or on Wishhook's heart is already broken by the time they get to Hyperion Heights? So now it's just a matter of just, you have to go, you just have to find where she is. Yeah. He can, like, interact with his daughter, but he just doesn't remember that she's his daughter. That's true, too. I guess Mm -hmm. we'll have to wait and see. I just, I feel like we're getting a little bit of a red herring situation when it comes to the girl he's trying to find. Maybe. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it's an interesting and very intriguing storyline, and I'm glad that we're getting sort of like another little piece of the puzzle filled in. And speaking of pieces of puzzles, we got a huge piece right now. So let's get into Ronnie and Henry. So Ronnie is being the mama bear that she doesn't know she is and starts grilling Henry about Ivy. And she's trying to like sway him like, you know, I think Jacinda might be a better fit for you and that whole kind of thing. And, uh... Over at the Belfry Towers, we see Victoria basically, um, you know, telling Ivy that she needs to step up, that uh, she needs to, you know, start, uh, you know, gaining some initiative in an, in herself and that whole type of thing. And so we see Ivy uh, observing Victoria over, you know, the cameras, you know, visiting the secret room in the Belfry Towers. And so she calls Henry and basically is like, you know, if you want to know something suspicious about my mom, like, I have, like, the most suspicious, suspiciousy suspiciousness that you could ever think of. And um, Ronnie ends up seeing the message on Henry's phone, and she ends up deleting the text and all that kind of stuff, and she ends up going to the tower, and she meets Ivy herself. She's like, you know, I want to make sure that everything is on the up and up and that you aren't, you know, getting Henry involved in something nefarious. And so they head up to the secret floor and they find the uh, cup of tea and they don't find anyone in there, like a physical person, but Ronnie ends up snooping in a drawer or whatever you want to call it, and in there, a lockbox or something, whatever you want to call it, she ends up finding a photo of Regina and Henry many years ago in Storybrooke, which shocks, surprises, and confuses Ronnie. Later on at Ronnie's, Ronnie shows Henry the picture, and she's like, I don't know where this is, I've never had clothes like these, I don't know who he is, but this is me. And I don't know what's going on here. And she's like, I've never met this boy. I don't know who this boy is. And Henry's like, that boy is me. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, my God. I know. So should I pause here or should I go to that final scene and then we'll break everything down? Let's well, pause. Let's pause here for okay. a sec. Let's discuss Ronnie and the shocking revelation that she made. I'll go first. Yes. And uh, I will give the writers props for having the balls to do this this soon. Because I'll be honest, 
when they announced that there would be a new curse and all this is out of the other and over the summer Adam and Eddie were doing interviews and they were like well this curse is going to be much more difficult to break and this is out of the other and blah 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 and I kept on thinking to myself I don't like the sound of that at all because that means that it's going to take the entire season kind of like it took Emma the entire season to quote unquote believe and to break the curse and I'm like I don't know if I could handle that again just because we would be like heading into like a complete sort of like retread of season one and that's something that I don't want. So the fact that we've been getting teases and uh, twists and people being awake and people waking up and all this kind of stuff much sooner than I anticipated is very good because I hope that the curse gets broken. I don't think it's going to get broken by the mid-season finale, but I hope that maybe someplace like two-thirds into the season, like the curse is broken and, you know, something bigger even happens like before the season's over. Because I just, I don't want this curse to last up until like the end of the season. I just, I feel like it would have been a bit of a waste. So the fact that characters are learning really interesting and weird and freaky stuff in episode five is really good in my opinion. I like that she found the picture. I don't know what they're going to think about as far as like what that picture means. So that's going to be interesting to see how they sort of um, analyze that photo and, and try to like comprehend what that actually means. So that's the thing that I'm looking forward to the most, to be quite honest. I'm looking forward to seeing them trying to figure out what that photo could mean. Because obviously Ronnie and Henry have no recollection of that photo. But there it is. It's visual evidence that these two people know each other. Okay, um, so... One thing that I was a little sad about is um for the prom during the promo after last week's episode they actually showed the photo and I feel like it kind of takes the twist down a little bit because I would it would yeah, have been like so more shocking had we not seen that photo at all and totally. it was just like revealed at the end of the episode but I'm going to but I'm obviously going to put that aside um I love seeing Regina and Henry's dynamic uh, like Seeing this older man with a mother that he doesn't know is his mother. And it's just really funny and really adorable. I like seeing um, Ronnie, um, Ronnie like, do that cool sneakiness with deleting the messages and going in Henry's place. That just feels like, that reminds me of, like, when Regina used Lily's blood to activate the author's quill back in Storybrooke. Like, that's Regina's cool sneakiness. Like, that's intelligent, like, not afraid to play a little dark Regina. And I just, I think that was really cool and awesome. I like her dynamic with Ivy. It's, it's very much, it's very, like, you see, like, the really nice mother-in-law with him and Cinderella, and now you kind of see the, the more wicked mother-in-law with him and Ivy. I mean, whatever they end up being. Um, so yeah, that was just really fun. Um, I think even though they've seen the photo, and that's definitely going to be a big twist in everything, 
I think what ultimately is going to break the curse down is going to come down to belief. Now, um, one, I, I didn't get a chance, because I wasn't part of this podcast until season seven, um, I didn't get to talk about the season six finale, but one thing I liked about it is that it really, the the breaking of the Black Fairy's curse came down to Emma having to believe. Yes, like, I will <laughs> say, I just giggled for half a second in my mind, because for a second it sounded like you said, the breaking of the Black Fairy's curse. <laughs> Um, it came down to, it came really down to Emma having to believe she had nothing to go on. The book was destroyed. She had that one little vision of Captain Hook at their wedding, but at the same time, it was like, she's also been in a mental asylum. So it really, I felt like that was the culmination of all she's learned. And that like is belief. It's going off of nothing. Whereas when and when the curse first broke in season one, it very much was about belief and love and all that. But Emma also touched the book and she got all her memories back. Whereas she had none of that in the season six finale, which made it all that much harder for her to believe. And what I kind of am hoping with season seven is that it that it's going to work out similarly for Henry. Like maybe somehow they're going to like. Lady Tremaine or Ivy or the Witch or Dr. Facilier is going to alter their memory so they don't have that. But Henry and Jacinda and Lucy are going to all choose to believe regardless of all that. Because that's, that's what belief is. That's It's having like little to nothing to go on and still saying, yes, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. I have that faith in it. And that's what makes that's what makes a story about belief as powerful as it is. Because when your belief is challenged and you decide to stick with it, yeah, that that makes belief a powerful thing. Okay, I like that. I think what they're going to do this time around, which I don't know how it's going to work storyline-wise, is I feel like some of our people they're going to start waking up. Like, we already have Rumple awake. So, let's say Regina is the next one to wake up. And then, like, two or three episodes later, Wishhook wakes up. So, at least our trio wakes up. I feel like Henry has to be the final one, you know, if we're just going to follow the uh, prototype that was uh, created with Emma. So he has to be like the last one to believe, and then that's what's going to ultimately break the curse. Or like, let's say Henry and Jacinda's belief is what breaks the curse. Yeah. But I think an interesting twist would be to have like, let's say the trio of vets Rumple, Regina, and Wishhook wake up first, and then try to sort of figure out how to um, do what they need to do. Because it'll be interesting to see if they have their magic, and to see if they can, if they, um, no, what am I trying to say? It'll be interesting to see if they have their magic. If they don't have their magic, then they're going to have to figure out a way to non-magic their way out of this. Huh. Now that'll be an interesting challenge for, well, yeah, basically Regina and Rumple, because Regina's ha- Regina really hasn't been without her magic except for the um, twenty-eight years she was under the dark curse and well, mm-hmm. her life before Rumple, and then Rumple has had magic, but 
how much he's used it since Bell's death is very ambiguous at the moment. And then and Wishhook's gonna end up and end up being really powerful in that case because he's gonna be he'll be in a weird way kinda like the Ron Weasley of the group where it's like he knows how to best deal with the non-magical world as Ron knows how best to deal with the magical world. Mm-hmm. He's grown up without that, without any magic at all. So that would be pretty cool. I, I, I can see that as a possibility, especially because so many pe- so much of the cast is already awake. So yeah, we'll be discussing that in just a moment. But I yeah. find that really interesting that more people are awake this time around so that's why i think some of our people you know in particular i mean because i mean i i'll be honest i don't feel like there are any other options like it has to be regina and, and wishhook just because i feel like henry is going to be the last one like henry and jacinda will probably be like the final two people that don't believe and then that'll break the curse like they'll end up kissing and they'll remember or something like that Aw, that's really romantic and adorable. Um, I, yep, I'm, I'm still not 100% sure whether or not Wishhook's going to get his memories back or not, but I can definitely see more people believing, and yeah, because like, during the first curse, they needed a lot more, they needed a lot of belief in order to be powerful enough to break the curse. Like, it like, I think it was even said in interviews, it couldn't just be Emma kissing Henry. It had to be the town coming together. Which, that would make sense with this. Yeah. And maybe Especially as they start waking up, they, like, realize her plan. Because I feel like her plan is very important. Like, as you mentioned, the town had to come together and believe. Because she has already sort of uh, um, gentrified Hyperion Heights, and she's kicking out all of these uh, fairy tale characters. They're going to have to find these characters who might be living in, you know, a very different town, many different towns who will have uh, very different names, and they're going to have to bring these characters back to Hyperion Heights, wake them up, gather everyone back together. All of them believe, and then, bam, the curse will be broken. I like it. Yeah, because my whole theory is that, not to get into um, sort of like stuff in the future, but we already know that Rebecca Mater is returning. She's returning as Zelina, and Zelina is going to be cursed. So, my whole thought, like, once we learned that she was coming back is that she has already been gentrified. She has been kicked out of Hyperion Heights. And so maybe with a recently woken up Regina, she ends up like tracking down Zelina and like brings her into the town or something. And that's how she wakes up or something like that. I think that would be really interesting. Oh, that is really cool. I'm also kind of realizing Lady Tremaine is kind of Lord Farquaad from Shrek. Like, he tries to kick all the characters oh, out that's of the block. You, you following me on yes, that? Yes, that's funny. I like it. I love it. <laughs> Disney gets their little uh, stab back at DreamWorks for Shrek. There you go. Oh, gosh. All right. So let's talk about the very final scene of the episode, which, in my opinion, 
was a bit of a game changer, I would say. Like, I was not expecting that, although I did find her to be quite shady. So, let's talk about it. So, at the very end of the episode, we basically get a bookend to the very first scene of the episode. We go back to the secret lair in Belfry Towers, and uh, we see Ivy visiting the witch and uh, she ends up like tossing the tea stuff on the ground she ends up um, I should say uh, she ends up calling out like reveal yourself basically and uh, the witch is like well you told me to hide before so I hid basically and we realize that Ivy and the witch know each other and they are working together and ivy planted that photo of henry and ronnie so that ronnie would find it and she has some sort of scheme or plan to basically take down her mother she says something to the gist of oh you know she thinks that she's controlling me or that I'm under her control. Well, she doesn't know the truth, basically. And we also learn that Ivy is not cursed. She tells uh, the witch to call her Drizella. So Ivy has some sort of scheme going on. So after seeing this scene, Jenna, what do you think is going on do you feel like ivy has always been awake as in you know from the start of hyperion heights she's always been awake do you think that maybe ivy and the witch in the magical forest pre hyperion heights curse they sort of had some sort of deal to keep Ivy awake or something like that. What do you think is going on with, um, I guess I shouldn't call her Ivy anymore. She's Drizella. Well, I'm kind of thinking maybe Drizella is the one who cast the curse. And like, like she's the caster of the curse, so she was able to somehow keep her memories. But at some point, Lady Tremaine kind of took over and she's like, she kind of, like you know like how in the dark... Uh, the Dark Swan Saga, Dark Hook cast the curse, but Emma kind of, like, took control of it and, like, made it her thing. But, see, I like where you're going, because I thought of that as well. The only thing that makes me, like, not 100%, like, for that is the fact that it does not seem like Lady Tremaine knows that Ivy is awake it seems like lady tremaine thinks that she's in charge so her like comfort level in uh, thinking that she's the hbic and that uh, ivy is ivy ivy is not Drizella, makes me think that at least lady tremaine feels like she cast the curse maybe it kind of is a little bit more complicated than that where it's like she what she thinks she cast the curse maybe that's she, part of the spell she thinks yeah she well not even like when she cast the curse she thought she was like the full one doing it and like 
but it was like really Ivy secretly pulling the strings and manipulating her all mm-hmm. along. So yeah, like she like um Lady Tremaine thinks she's thinks she's the one in charge, but yeah, Ivy ultimate I, Ivy cast the curse and kind of Yeah, you get what I'm saying. So I that's okay. what I'm kind of thinking at the moment. Or it's like a Rumpelstiltskin esque deal where like there was a word or something that triggered her memory. Like maybe she figured, hey, Henry will have the same name. So if I hear Henry's name or if I see the Once Upon a Time book, something like that, I'll get my memories back. Okay. I can dig that as well. But just something where it's like or it's just some situation where Lady Tremaine wasn't aware that Ivy's memories were that important at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. What about you? Well, I feel like they were probably in cahoots in the Magical Forest. I think that Ivy probably made some sort of deal with the witch. What? I don't know. I do think that Ivy wants to, like, one-up her mother, obviously. Like, I think that um, Ivy feels like her mother doesn't respect her and, and doesn't trust that she can accomplish or do anything. Oh, we didn't even really talk about the scene with uh, the two of them in Belfry Tower talking about how um, she thinks Ivy's the... Uh, Belfry thinks Ivy's, like, the inferior daughter. Yeah, and so... making an allusion to Anna. Yes, so because of all that, because it seems like she prefers Anastasia... Drizella, like, has something to prove, like, uh, of herself to, like, her mother. And so this could be her way of doing that, but I really don't know, like, oh, like what she's trying to do with this. You know what I'm saying? I, I think I kind of just got an idea. So, um, have you ever watched the show The Good Place? I've heard of it. I know what you're okay, talking so about. I'm going to kind of spoil the, the, the season one premiere, and I feel really bad about this, but I, I have a point. It's kind of revealed that the guy who's apparently in charge of the good place is actually in charge of the bad place, and he's torturing these humans by making it seem like they're in the good place, but they're having them interact with humans that are going to make them feel bad about themselves, and basically, like, torture torture them, each other for him. So, just, like, if you, like... Say you were afraid of spiders, and your and one of your one of the people in the good place was an entomologist, and you have to spend all your time with an entomologist. So, yeah, so it's like you're torturing each other. So maybe I maybe like I, that's part of Ivy's thing with the curse. Like she's making it feel like um, Lady Train's in charge, but is also like finding ways to to screw her mother over, and maybe that's why Lady Train keeps losing. Because that's, like, part of Ivy's grand design. Like, she kind of, like, this curse is meant to torture her mother, not so much Jacinda. I mean, maybe Jacinda's part of the equation, but it's not the full equation. Really, really, this whole curse is a big screw you to basically everybody who's fucked me over, but Lady Tremaine is at the tippy-tippy top of that list. Okay, that's interesting. That's Mm -hmm. an interesting theory. I guess we'll have to wait and see. We weren't really given 
that much in that final scene, but we were given just enough a lot. Exactly. Just enough to like keep us questioning and guessing what is going on because that was a unique twist and as I mentioned earlier, I do like that we're finding out that a lot of these characters are awake. I mean, first Lady Tremaine, obviously the witch, Rumpelstiltskin, and now Drizella. I hope that we find out like how long she's been awake because that'll be interesting to know. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing flashbacks with her and the witch. What were we going to say, Jenna? Also, Tilly was kind of awake a little bit. Yeah, although I feel like Tilly... She's probably not going to be awake for, like, any more. Yes. I feel like Tilly, she woke up when she saw Henry. I still believe that. Just because the look on her face when she saw Henry. Although we didn't really get an explanation of that. But I feel like... At some point, we're going to get her to say something like, I woke up when I saw Henry. Just because. like, I, In my gut, that's when I feel she was waking up. I don't think she was waking up on Halloween. I, I think when she saw Henry, like that started to wake her up. Maybe something in her mind, a little voice, uh, told her not to take her pills anymore. And um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like it. And hey, her first instinct was to tell after seeing Henry, was to tell his grandfather that he was here, and what a coincidence, in uh, Alice's first appearance, she mentions Rumpelstiltskin, like, as the first thing. So, could be. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So, now it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most, and why? The rules are simple. State which character impressed you throughout the episode, and why. And if someone has already mentioned the character that you were going to choose, you must select a different one. Since it's just the two of us, Jenna, I will let you go first. Aw, you know, I was actually going to say, because you always let everybody else go first, and considering it's just the two of us, I want you to go first this time. Alright, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. And my MVP is Dr. Facilier, just because I really liked the Once Upon a Time version of the character. I loved the costuming, loved the accent, loved uh, how he uses magic. I love uh, that uh, he isn't, or at least it doesn't seem like he's just going to be a one-off character it looks like we might get the chance to see him again i hope that he has a greater presence in the storyline this season just because i'm really fascinated by like how they're going to like weave him into um maybe the flashbacks or even the present day stuff in hyperion heights i I really like the actor i thought he made a really strong presence for the character which is needed because uh dr facilia is a uh, larger than life villain at least in the princess and the frog so i was uh, 100 satisfied with uh, the interpretation of dr facilia on once upon a time and it's a character that i have been waiting for basically since season one of once upon a time i was like i need dr facilier on once upon a time so um i'm really excited by what they did with him and i'm intrigued to see what's gonna happen next with dr facilier i look forward to seeing him again so jenna what about you okay i'm glad that you took uh, dr facilier because mine too the surprise of nobody is tiana dash sabine because yeah, I think that the um, Miss Cox, she definitely um, 
she definitely earned that promotion to a regular character because these two characters are incredibly distinct and yet there's there's something special to each of them. I love Tiana's classiness, her like how regal she is, how wise she is, and I like Sabine's casualness, her fun like that fun spirit, but at the end, at the end of the day, they're very, they're two very strong women. That strength is there. It's that core feature, which I think is such. It's, it reminds me so much of all the other characters from like um, for season season one. Like they always had this core element of who they are. Like Mary Margaret and Snow, they both had this kindness um, and. Um, Archie and Jiminy Cricket always had this, um, always had this wanting to, this spirit of wanting to do good, and now Tian and Sabine have that. So, I think they made her a really good character, I think they gave her a fantastically solid arc, um, especially, well, more in, more in, um, the Magical Forest than in Hyperion Heights, where it's just this learning that strength comes within you. And they gave her a really cool villain, a really cool, a really nice, like, group of people to save, a really good relation to her family, and a really good backstory. So, it leaves me really excited to see where this character is going to go from here. I like it, and I approve. She was my backup character as well. Makia Cox is doing some amazing stuff with Tiana. I'm so glad as well that they made her a series regular, and uh, I guess it was after this episode when they were like, you know, what the hell are we thinking about? We need to make her a series regular. Mm-hmm. I love her. She's fantastic. All right, let's rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 apples? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden apple. So since you went last, Jenna, you may go first. Okay, um, I'm going to give the episode 7.5 out of 10 apples. I think that there were, I think that it was a really good episode. It did, it like, for a lot of characters, it launched them into a very interesting territory, and in some cases, really defined them, like, um, Tiana, as I mentioned before, Dr. Facilier, Ivy, um, I like, and they expanded on some characters like Henry and Ronnie. Um, some dynamics didn't work as well, like, I didn't, I, like, especially Sabine Tiana for an uh, Sabine, I'm sorry, Sabine Jacinda for an episode that was supposed to be really pulling at the heartstrings of what their friendship is. Like, this was not the episode to falter in, and it kind of did. Like, that whole conflict felt very loose and floppy. So, that just kind of, and that was supposed to be a big part of the episode. So, I feel like it weighed it down a lot. But... It didn't, but it, at the end of the day, it still was a pretty. It still was a good episode, but I can't ignore those shortcomings. Jeff, what about you? You know what? I totally feel for what you're saying, and I do agree that the episode did have a couple of uh, shortcomings, a couple of issues I, I had with some of the storylines and that kind of thing, which I mentioned throughout this podcast. But there are a couple of times per season in which even though an episode might have 
some shortcomings and and I might have some issues with uh, certain things that happen throughout the episode. It might not be a perfect episode, but the nostalgia, the um the hype and the hope of certain things happening sort of um allow it to get a couple of extra points. And for me, at least, because of the whole Princess of the Frog and Dr. Facilier of it all, I am probably being a little bit kinder to this episode than I should be. But, I mean, I'll be honest, I I just have to. Like, there's no way that I can go a little bit lower than I feel, just because the episode did end with me on a high because I was so impressed by the flashback and uh, because the twists in uh, the present day like the whole thing with Eloise Gardner the whole thing uh, with uh, Ivy and the witch I'm probably grading it on a curve but you know what I don't care and I'm gonna live in my truth I'm giving it a golden apple wow I am. I just have to. Like, you know, probably if I wasn't grading it on a curve, I'd probably give it like an 8, 8.5. But the good in the episode and, and just my excitement in seeing the Princess and the Frog interpreted on Once Upon a Time and seeing Dr. Facilier on Once Upon a Time, it, it does force me to give it a couple of extra points so it's not a perfect episode as i mentioned the whole victoria and and even jacinda and sabine stuff was a little messy and murky but everything else i was very satisfied with and uh, because of the the excellent flashbacks that's gonna that that outweighed some of the negative stuff and allowed it to get a couple of extra points to get up there to the golden apple so um for the haters i'm shaking y'all off i'm living with the golden apple for this episode huh well okay not bad all right i feel like i justified it and uh, yeah, i think you did a good job yeah and that was a very suspenseful grading like you had a minute of build up i know right it's called a tease, Jenna. You tease. Yes. All right. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybrook Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookweeklymirror.tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook. Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. 
Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, listeners. Sleep tight. Don't let the frogs bite. I like it. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror every Tuesday and Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Our Tuesday show is our episode discussion, and our Wednesday show is our special spoiler edition of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror. Good night. Good night.